when you think about high leverage, that's literally it. It's your network. Your network equals your net worth. The people that you hang out with are the people that are you're going to accidentally become like, because just by being around them, things become more approachable. And then approach becomes comfort. Comfort becomes confidence. Confidence becomes um, obvious. Welcome to Lessons in Leverage, the podcast that takes you behind the scenes of success. We'll help you unlock the secrets of leverage so you can amplify your impact in the world. Here's your host, Spencer Lowe. Welcome back to another episode of Lessons in Leverage. I'm really excited today to have Young Han. Uh, he is with us today. He is a business builder. He's someone who has created multiple businesses, something like seven, I believe I saw that you started and is uh, also working uh, across a variety of areas. But what I'm most impressed about with Young is that he has taken one superpower, one skill uh, in terms of this great excellence around systematizing, creating process and being able to scale uh, operations, and then has turned that into something where he can both sell it as a service and then go out and launch additional lines of business to diversify uh, kind of his own portfolio. So he's got a really interesting story and really excited to have you on and d dive into that and see how you've created leverage in your life. So thank you for being here. Spencer, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here as well. So before we dive into some fun business stories, uh, tell me about the Girl Dad podcast and just a little bit about uh, how that started, what that means to you. Yeah. Thank you for asking. It's like my pride and joy here. Um, and I, I would love to share war stories on, on podcasting because I feel like it's a labor of love and people that don't do it, don't realize how much time and effort and money it takes. And, uh, I'm so excited that you asked because, uh, I know you intimately know all the things that are going through my mind right now, <laughs> share with you my podcast. Cause you're a podcaster as well, but um, yeah, I was starting off um, uh, by interviewing some of my friends, right? I, I was um, a, a new dad and I had two young girls and I, I just love working. I love working. You know, it's just like, I, it's so funny because people are like, you know, oh, I would, I, you know, I can't wait to get off of work or whatever. And I'm, I'm always like, I actually love working and I, I'm like the happiest when I'm talking about business building or solving problems or building systems. And so it's kind of nerdy and dorky, but I, I love it, you know? And so, um, I have noticed that, you know, chasing my passions for building businesses and, and operationalizing things really competed a lot with being a good dad, um, as a father. And I struggled with it a lot because both things required a lot of time and the way that I qualified success uh, as a dad also ended up becoming qualitative and quantitative. And so I struggled, man. I struggled a lot and trying to figure out how to like be a better dad because I wanted to be the best dad possible. I fell in love with my, uh, my kids so much and it completely triggered something in my heart and changed who I was. And I fought with it for years and years and years, like a couple of years of like trying to like figure out how to make it all work. And then inevitably I just kind of was like, why don't I operationalize it? And so I started doing the first step, which is what I always do, which is research. So I started interviewing successful people in my network. And how do you do this? Like you make a lot of money. You have a bunch of businesses. <laughs> like, how are you navigating parenthood in this? Like, don't you like feel bad about not spending time on this and spending time on that? And, and I interviewed like seven or eight people and I got wildly different answers, you know, from people that have like slowed down their career to spend more time with their kids and be more available to people that completely started outsourcing a lot of their functions. They could be more qualitative with the time that they did have with their kids and then everything in between. I started sharing these opinions with my friends and family and things that I'm learning. And 
the responses were so visceral and emotional, right? Like you can't do that. Or, oh my God, that's terrible human being. Or like, that's a terrible way of thinking about life. And it was just so fascinating, the emotion and judgment <laughs> that I got from all the people about how to be a good parent. And um, I thought it was really interesting content. And so uh, it was really helpful for me to learn. And so two things, one, a lot of people started recommending that I start uh, documenting it. And so the podcast kind of idea came from that. And then two, um, it was easier to get successful people to talk to me if I did a podcast. So it became a lead gen source to get more and more successful people to talk to me, like unique people, like politicians. And like, I got access to like, you know, CEOs of like billion dollar companies, not just my local network of, you know, entrepreneurs. And so just getting access to really unique uh, people that I wouldn't normally get access to uh, was also easier with the show. And so those two things kind of formed into this like podcast and that's how it started. But it's literally my journey in trying to figure out how to be the best parent I can be while being the best professional I can be. Yeah, that's such a, an important cause. And I, I wanted to shine a light on it right up front just because I think that's you know something that everyone that takes their career seriously and takes parenthood seriously struggles with. I mean, there's there's not easy answers, like you said. There's a lot of approaches. There's a lot of opinions. There's very visceral, emotional feelings around it all. So yeah. I think not getting it really tough. So for those of you that, that resonate with that, make sure to go check out Young's podcast and, uh, and uh, you'll hopefully learn something on the journey. I know I'm excited to listen to some of those episodes. So with that being said, I mean, I wanted to dive in. We talked a little bit before we came on about your superpower, this concept of uh, being an operational expert. Tell me about how you discovered that. Because I think a lot of people, especially if they're maybe not yet an entrepreneur, if they uh, are early in their careers, maybe wonder like, what is my superpower? Do I have a superpower? Is it natural? Do I have to build it? You know, how do I find it? And so tell us a little bit about how you discovered that and, and found this passion around operations. Yeah, it's actually really fortuitous because it didn't happen naturally at all. It actually happened through a lot of like um, crazy life changes and, and forces that have kind of pushed me into this direction. And I, I kind of jokingly and almost like um, uh, very um, um, cliche, it's very cliche. Uh, but I jokingly say that I've, I've finally figured out what I want to be when I grow up, right? Like I, I feel like I found my purpose, right? Because it's a lot of like different things coming together, right? It's like, how do you figure out what you're good at? How do you figure out what people will pay you for? How do you figure out what makes you happy? And you know, what uh, value you can provide to the world? What do people actually need? And like, it's Ikigai. If you ever heard the terminology Ikigai, um, it's like really like, finding your purpose and like finding that like Venn center of the Venn diagram of all, all those four things. And it really happened by accident. I, I mean, it started because living in uh, San Francisco, you know, you have to basically be inside of the the tech world or uh, to kind of survive or, or even thrive to have a chance of thriving. And so you join these ecosystems and you learn to adapt and you learn to um, ride these kind of like massive changes of you know, these disruptive thinkers, right? There's so many cerebral thinkers there and they're kind of like disrupting the world. And so you're constantly adapting to these new tactics and methodologies and you're trying to be a function expert. And uh, I just, I sucked at it, man. I was like terrible at being great at anything. And um, I just kind of meandered through it all, <laughs> navigating and doing the best that I could in different situations. But that jack of all trades, master of none, ended up finally being um, better than master of one um, recently. So it didn't really help me until recently as like I became closer to 40 years old that 
you know, just being a jack of all trades actually benefited me a, a huge amount because now I'm able to like take all of these random experiences and figure out the similarities and the similarities between all of these different businesses, whether it's AI or biotech or, or physical or CPG or retail or nonprofit, like there's like 60 to 65% of the business that is literally the same business is business. And yeah, there's some differences, but it's minor. It's actually a, a, a much smaller part of the business is special. And so, um, I started to like see these strains because I was able to do so many repetitions in all these different companies. And it started to kind of highlight what my strengths were, which is like just being a really good utility player and being naturally curious. And so I will say that I was able to figure it out recently. So really figuring out the superpower was in the last four years, I started to realize that that was what I was special at. And I stopped trying to apply for, you know, typical executive jobs at larger corporations because, um, the chances of me getting one of those jobs is just so low because I'm, I'm not, I'm not diplomatic. I don't have deep technical skills. I, um, I'm just a really good natural curious problem solver. I'm, I'm really, really, really useful for early stage. And I'm, you know, really walking up uphill in later stage or set up companies. Right. And so I just started to realize that and just started hyper-focusing on that early stage area. And I started to thrive and I started to get pulled and attracted to uh, different people that needed that specialty and then started getting paid for it. And then Ikigai happened. Right. And so everything started to click and I felt like I grew up. I'm like, wow, I know what I want to do when I go, I get older <laughs> and uh, it only took me 43 years, but um, here I am. Yeah. No, beautiful. I, I love the fact that, you know, you didn't wait. So, you know, you're not sitting around waiting, hoping it's going to fall out of the sky. You were trying things and for many years trying. Mm -hmm. And you, know, you might not have found it if you weren't trying things. I think that's, there's a, a deep lesson. In that. You know, you can't wait to know what the perfect plan is and the perfect life passion is and all of that up front. But if you're pursuing and you're acting and you're adapting and you're, you're, you're pushing yourself, the more experience you get, you can't even imagine up front how those will tie together and highlight those things for you. And so, uh, you know, that's, that's probably one takeaway I would just recommend to the audience is, to, is really to, to, to be focused on taking action because it's in doing those things. You start to see the patterns, you start to see where you're shining, you start to see where you struggle or you're not comfortable or you don't enjoy it. And so those patterns can become clear. So I love that about your, your story. Now, was it, was it, as you moved to Austin, was that around the same time that you, well, what was the move from the Bay Area to Austin in terms of timing compared to when you really focused starting to build your own business? I'll tell you the full story. It's, I don't really share this story a lot, but it's pretty funny and I might as well tell it. I think it's funny. Hopefully you find it hilarious. So I'm like 30, what is it? 39 years old. And, um, uh, I'm, I have two young kids and I'm doing the whole thing of like mortality, right? I'm like having my midlife crisis. So I'm like, I got to start thinking about retirement and like, what does that look like? And so I had a meeting with my financial planner and started going over my budgets and finances and then, you know, spent like six hours with them. And then I come downstairs and my wife's like, so how'd it go? You know, what are we looking like? And I, and I looked at her, you know, for like 30 seconds, like just blankly, just dead in the face and trying to think about how to summarize this quickly. And, um, um, I basically said, um, uh, our planner, <laughs> Uh, our planner basically said, um, we have to live a really crappy life for the next, uh, 25 years. And, um, and then I have to work for 25 years, uh, really hard 
and then uh, pray to God that we die by 90 because we have a really shitty life and then there's no money after that. And she's like, there's, there's no way he said that. And I'm like, no, he didn't say that. But the sheer volume of money that we would have to set aside yeah. and also work till we're you know 65 and then we would live on a moderate income until we're 90 and then literally there's no plan for that afterward there's no money after that and i just was like i, I broke down like how it looked and i'm not saying it's impossible and it's great life for me it's a good middle class life but i started asking my friends and i'm like is this is this normal and they're like yeah you're probably on the lower spectrum of it you should have been planning a little earlier but yeah this is how everyone lives this is what this is what it's like and i'm like there's no way and so i started asking more and more people and like um all my friends and everyone's like yeah you're living a great middle class life that's what middle class life is you you own a home you're building assets and this and that i mean that's a good amount of money to retire on and live and i'm like i just i'm not i'm not saying it's bad man and i'm very grateful for the for the the opportunity that i have to be able to live that life but it just really bummed me out it like depressed the shit out of me and um i just kind of went into this like emotional vortex where i like had to like try to solve it and so um it prompted a move a drastic change and i i talked my wife into uh, moving to texas sight unseen uh just to lower our cost of living um and to make more bets because i said i said we we owe it to you know 90 percent of the the world that you know doesn't have our luxury or 90 percent of the population in america even because we're very we live a very luxurious life in the sense that our rock bottom is so high because our rock bottom is me getting an executive job at some tech startup and making really good money. Like that's the worst that it's going to get for us. That's like better than 90% of the country. We owe it to the 90% of the country that doesn't have that luxury or that um, privilege to go try and, and build something more for ourselves. Cause that's literally the worst that'll happen because we have enough reputation and enough skills to go get a tech job. Right. And um, I, I convinced her. I don't know how I convinced her. I'm, I must have like really spoke passionately or something because she agreed and she said, okay. And so sight unseen, we moved to Texas and we lowered our cost of living and we used that Delta to immediately start investing into assets to see if we can start getting out of this kind of like standard lifestyle and actually create financial freedom. And um, that's what I've been doing the last four years, man. The first two years, I completely failed at real estate. I own three investment homes that I'm underwater in. I invested in crypto. I suck at that. Um, I invested in the stock market. God, don't even ask me how my, my portfolio is doing. It's horrible. Um, I, I obviously still have my financial planner and he's doing great. He's actually the only one that's actually somewhat stable. Um, he's lost some money, but it's usually less than I lost in the stock market. So that's good. And then two years ago, I started doing small businesses. And my superpower just skyrocketed them. Like every small business that I touched, like would just start beating the odds. And now fast forward to today, I have eight small businesses, right? And so uh, two of them are um, doing over seven figures um, and uh, two more of them will do over seven figures next year. And so just a natural skill set, like a natural skill in building these businesses. And I'm like, oh my God, I think I found the thing that's going to give me financial freedom that'll get me ahead. And so, um, um, that's kind of like the big catalyst for moving and, um, doing all these things. And I'm happy to explore it. Cause I know you want to talk about the leverage because, uh, there's a lot of leverage, a lot of leverage here. And it, and it piggybacks off of what you said earlier, right? It's like, you know, it's not just about like waiting around and like expecting things to get better. That's literally the, the opposite of what you need to do. You know, you need to put yourself out there. 
you need to put yourself out there so opportunity can quite literally slap you in the face. Uh, and you also need to know what you want and ask for and you need to be vocal about it. Tell the world what you want, put yourself out there. And then the thing that I always say is be ready to win. Like be ready for someone to say yes and, um, and, and prepare and spend your time preparing, stay up late, stay up on the weekends and like hone your skill or hone your hard skill, build out your services, build out your website, build out your payment portal, like get ready for someone to say yes. Because I've had so many even startups that are just like, uh, will you invest? And I'm like, yeah, sure. Send over the term sheet. And they're like, wait, you said yes. And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> like, and like, they don't even have, they're not even ready to win. They, they don't have their term sheet ready. They don't have like, they don't have like their, like their document, DocuSign sign ready. And I'm like, wait, now I don't want to invest because you're not even ready to win. Like you were expecting to lose. That's the wildest thing to me. And so, um, I just wanted to piggyback and say, I agree with you. I think that you should definitely put yourself out there. But you should also be clear about what you want. And then lastly, be prepared to win. And I think that you can manufacture a lot of success for yourself and create unbelievable amounts of leverage. That's awesome. And we are, we're going to dive into that. And I'm very excited to explore it. I think that uh, just in what you shared there, I mean, another takeaway that's really important for people is this idea of who your mentors are, who you're listening to. So if, you, if you're surrounded by people who have, say, a middle-class lifestyle, which there is nothing wrong with, and you ask them, hey, is this normal? The answer is, of course, going to be yes, because yeah. these are people who that is the norm to them. And there's nothing, again, nothing wrong with that. But if you want if you want to be prepared to win, if you want to find a way to win, then, and you're really clear about what that looks like, then, you know, if I wanted to learn to be a, uh, a stonemason, I wouldn't go ask a bunch of carpenters how to do it. So, that's right. So, that's right. Once I'm clear that it's stone masonry, well, now I need to go talk to the people that are actually working with stone and, and there it's going to look very obvious to them, whereas other people might be very confusing or the wrong approach or might not look right. So um, I, I love that about your story that that you realized, okay, I'm getting all these answers. They're fairly consistent, but it doesn't feel right. Maybe I need to look beyond that for some answers. And uh, yeah. it starts within yourself. You have to have that decision and that certainty and that confidence to to say, all right, I'm ready to, to get clear about a vision of the future that maybe is different than what my parents expect or my siblings or uh, friends or people around me. And then once you do, then you can attract those mentors and the advice and you'll start to see a higher leverage game that you can play. And so really excited now to hear as you started to get into that and said, all right, you know, I, I, this is what I'm looking for. It's not the standard middle class. It's not the standard work to 65, retire, run out of money. It's not uh, just stay in the Bay Area where costs are really high and just that's where I have to live. Like I'm, I'm ready to start questioning and just finding, is there another way? That's right. What were some of the answers you started to see that led you down that path? And how did you start to build higher leverage? So, um, there's two things that really influenced me immediately by moving to lower my cost. Um, one is Texas itself. Um, just a completely different echo chamber. I, I grew up, I was born and raised in the Bay area, uh, the Northern California Bay area. So, uh, that's all I knew, right? I mean, we, you know, as a child, we grew up in a bohemian, you know, it was very bohemian, like melting pot artsy area. And then by the time I was like 25, I mean, it like completely all the orchards went away and it became like, you know, like tech, you know, tech campus central of the world. Right. And so, um, very quickly, I mean, you know, you had to adapt and accommodate to the new, to the new ecosystem there where it attracted, you know, global, uh, global people that wanted to work in tech and it just attracted, it was like a hub for, for technology and innovation, but, um, it is an echo chamber. It, it truly is. And, 
um, I um, moved to Texas. And the first thing that happened was I just started talking to people that were making really good money, really good money, like installing cabinets, uh, septic tanks, um, putting in windows and like uh, cleaning cars and, and like owning um, laundromats. And like, I just started meeting these like good old hard business owners and um it was just so like refreshing and i'm like wait there's no there's no like disruptive arbitrary value that you have to like prove out like you're not trying to disrupt how people drink water or like you're not trying to disrupt how people wear t-shirts or change the way that people breathe you're just you're, you're just like they have a they have a, a shitty toilet and you fix it and then you take money and that's it and that, that's it you just do more of that and like this is amazing that's that's all you do and yeah. And then you hire people and then they do it and then you make more money and then you just keep scaling and now you're happy and you're rich. It's like, wow, I didn't even know that was like a thing. Like, I mean, I knew, but like, I didn't know, I didn't know, no, I don't know how to explain it. Like, you know, but like, you just don't think about doing it yourself and just being exposed to so many, um, you know, pr successful Texans was really interesting for me because the, the Texans here are like more focused on like, you know, building out these legacy businesses and being able to like pass it on to their kids or, you know, how to do tax mitigation strategies and like things that are just like, so like, um, different from what I was used to. And that really opened up my mind and made it way more approachable just by networking and being around this ecosphere. Right. And then the second thing was I started to hang out with, uh, people that were more akin to where I wanted to be. So I was actively asking for introductions in my network for people that worked less than 40 hours a week that were, you know, more financially free and, uh, just doing whatever I could to, to buy coffee with them, you know, buy them coffee. And so, you know, I call it the beer and cupcakes model, right? Like I'll expense It sounds like, you know, this guy that I really want to meet, like, dude, can I buy you beer or cupcakes? If you make an introduction, I promise I'll make value for him and I'll make sure you look good. But if you can make an introduction for me, I really appreciate it. I would do this like. I don't know, I'd have a list of a thousand people I would do this with and maybe a hundred of them would say yes. And then maybe out of those hundred, I'd get like 50 of them to meet with me. And then out of those 50, like I would learn a ton, right? And then out of those 50, five of them would say yes to being my friend because it's an awkward ask, right? And then like, I got like five friends my first year that just continue to hang out with me even to this day. And I'm like, hey, I know I'm not there yet, but I'm going to be like you in five years. And so if you could just be my friend and just talk to me and like bounce ideas and be my mastermind group, I promise I'll provide value in five years. That's what I, that was my pitch. I just did it. And I just like asked a thousand people and that whittled down to a hundred, hundred to 50, 50 to five. And I got my core group. Now it's like 12 people, right? I have like 12 people that are kind of my echo chamber, but a lot of work to rebuild my network and rebuild my ecosystem. So I love that you said that because when you think about high leverage, that's literally it. It's your network. Your network equals your net worth. The people that you hang out with are the people that are you're going to accidentally become like because just by being around them things become more approachable and then approach becomes comfort comfort becomes confidence confidence becomes um obvious mm -hmm. and you just start to go yeah why wouldn't i start another business and make money doing this and that like it just duh and then you know you fast forward like a year ago when you think about who you were you're like wait why am i talking like this and it's because you're just soaking in you know a different set of mindset but if you stuck me in a group of artists, I guarantee you it'll take me six months, six years, 60 years. Eventually I'll become an artist. I guarantee it. I just, I already know that'll happen. It's just a matter of time, depending on who you are, but yeah, who you hang out with matters way more than anything you'll ever do. Anything. And, 
one last story that's really funny. Uh, I, I'm one of my favorite friends that's been mentoring me through this. I mean, he's still really close to me now. And we're like, I consider him my target, my life goal. I tell to his face, I'm like, my singular goal is to just beat you. He's like, I don't even know what that means. And I'm just like, I have three things that I like about your life that I'm trying to beat. And so that's my singular goal. But um, when we were first starting to hang out, because I asked him, would you, will you be my friend? Like, will you like text message with me and just, just like banter back and forth? And he was one of the few people that said, yeah, <laughs> such an awkward thing in hindsight when I think about it. But we were like hitting balls at a driving range and like halfway through it, I just like literally threw my club down and I was so pissed. And he's like, what's wrong? And I'm like, you know what pisses me off about the situation? And he goes, what? And I'm like, you're dumber than me. And it just makes me so angry, you know, it just makes me so frustrated. And he started laughing so hard. And I think that's when we became really good friends. And, and he said, you know, right back to me, he's like, I, I love you because you're so smart. I think you're super interesting because you know, a lot of, a lot of things you're, you're technical and you're functional, but, um, your mindset is wrong and that's your problem. And it really just like blew my mind, you know, blew my mind that like how this guy wasn't even that much smarter than me and he was so much more in my mind so much more successful you know a lot of the smartest people in the world are employees uh, because they 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 are great at learning rules they're great at learning facts they're great at following processes they're great at certain set of things that can that can push you into a box that you don't even know you're into and uh and and, and it, it is uh it was actually for me as a consultant that was one of the things that i started to see as i was consulting these companies I was fresh out of college. I was young, but I was just willing to learn. And I was like, wait a second. A lot of these business owners making millions and millions of dollars are dumb. Like <laughs> they're not that smart. They're not that smart. And, yeah. and that is a confusing thing. And, and so you're like, wait a second. I always thought to be rich, you had to be smart and hard work hard and all this stuff. And it's true that those things can help. Right. But but then you start to realize mindset, like you said, huge element, you know, so there's so much leverage in the way you view the world, your beliefs and your mindset. Then there's, there's a ton of leverage in your network, right? Going somewhere and, and making relationships with people who can teach you skills, share ideas, share their mindset, elevate your vision. You know, all those things you start finding, there's these higher leverage things that lead down a path that you didn't know was there. And it just starts to open opportunity to you in the world. And when you talked about going from, you know, one echo chamber to another, I think people really underestimate the power of choosing really where you live and the people you surround yourself in that place. And, you know, to, to highlight this, I actually, I don't know if you've seen this, but I'm going to show this to you real fast. This yeah, please. Is a, uh, that, that always kind of drives that point home for me. But, uh, but if you look at this, uh, the data that they have on for people who are just on audio, I'm looking, uh, at a, uh, some graphs about investing. And so. Um, people, you know, you, you've got sophisticated investors all over the world. And yet, uh, in the, you know, in any region of the U S there's a huge bias in what you invest in people on the West coast disproportionate, they're 20% more likely to own tech stocks. People down in the South are 26% more likely to own energy. People in on the East coast near wall street are 23% more likely to invest in financial stocks. Uh, in the Midwest, they're 22% more likely to invest in industrial stocks. And so when you look at some of this bias all throughout the country, you realize that even just a choice of where you're going to live shapes how you see opportunities, how you see industries, how you see everything. I mean, even investors, I mean, when you, most money that's invested is investigated, invested by people who are somewhat sophisticated. And yet 
certified financial planners and people who have a decent education about finance still fall into those biases. And so it's, it's, there's, there's a, a great quote that I heard from Tony Robbins once who says proximity is power. It's also a potential bias. And so proximity yeah. is powerful if you're in the right proximity, if you're around people who have the opportunities, the mindsets, and all the high leverage skills you need. And it also shape you potentially in an adverse way if you're somewhere where everybody's an employee, everybody thinks there's a certain path and that path isn't right for you. Well, now you might find that 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 location is a key problem. So I love that you were willing to break out of the mold and try something new. I love how that started to shape. And I really love the strategy you use for going out and finding and rebuilding a network. That's another really hard thing for a lot of people as adults. A lot of people just find it hard to make friends, you know, and, and your vulnerability yeah. willingness to ask and go build those relationships is a very high leverage skill. You know, it, a lot of people want to have the network, but they fear the rejection. And so they just don't try and you have risk rejection to find some of those rewarding relationships. And clearly you found several that were really, really valuable for you. Oh yeah. Yeah. And I think, I, I think it's really important um, to highlight. I mean, I hope I did a good job of, of highlighting how much rejection I faced to do this. <laughs> so I think it's really important for people to realize that it's okay. Like my mom still loves me, you know, like, yep. it's okay. Like, you know, the core people that love me still love me. Like, it's not a big deal, but if you don't put yourself out there and, and, and get rejected, then you're also going to stay the same at where you're at. And so you kind of have to deal with rejection and it's part of the process, but it, like, we have such a weird stigma with rejection. And I think that's one of the benefits of being in Silicon Valley. Like, I think that, you know, Silicon Valley really rewired my brain to just embrace failure, right? It's like, mm -hmm. It's very like, it's almost like it's, you don't even talk about it really. It's just kind of like, it's so ingrained in the culture that like, I don't know, like most people that are from there just, yeah, of course I'll, I'll, I'll just try it and then fail forward. Like it's not as, it's, it's just not a thing. And so I think that's a huge perk of being from Silicon Valley is like, I just don't like, it doesn't, I don't enjoy it, but it's also like, it's just part of the process of learning things. You know, it's a very positive learning process. Yeah, you got to be more scared of what will happen if you stay in your box than what will happen if you get a little bit of rejection. You know, it's I love that. Yeah. That. Yeah. If you're still the way it was, how scared yeah. is compared to what you've got by simply being willing to tackle a little bit of rejection, face the rejection and grow? My dad says it. My dad says um, um, it, it's the whole like, you know, it's the, the size of the fight of the dog, not the size of the dog, you know, in the fight. But um, he says it like it it's really comes down to how bad do you want it? You know, business is not about how smart you are, how tall you are, how, how good looking you are. It's not about what school you came from. It's not about how, um, you know, connected you are like, cause the reality is you can have all of these advantages and someone that's going to, you know, it might take you 10 hours to achieve this, but someone will have to work a hundred hours to achieve it. Sure. It's a disadvantage, but if that person wants it more, they'll work 101 hours to beat you. Yeah. And if you don't want it as much as this guy that's worth willing to work 101 hours to beat your 10 hours because of your advantage, you're going to lose. And so his his mentality and, and, and kind of like value prop to me has always been whenever I fail, it's like, well, I guess you just didn't want it bad enough. It's like, damn it. <laughs> yeah, I guess it's true. Yeah, he's like, because the reality is like, if you wanted it bad enough, you'll you'll sacrifice more for it. And that's right. whoever wants it the worst, that's it. Yeah, people who accomplish the most impressive things just have the strongest reasons. And if you've got a strong reason, you know, if your family's life was on the line, if your own life was on the line, what would that effort look like compared to maybe what you've been giving in something? And when you think about that and you realize that it comes back to reasons, it's much like, you know, Simon Sinek talking about it starts with why. 
why being so important, people that have a really strong reason achieve the unthinkable because usually it's just you need a reason that's durable enough to push you through the rejection, through the failure, through the pain, through the confusion, through everything else that people will face and just give up. The reason people don't give up is because of the why. You look at a lot of the biggest breakthroughs in medicine and cancer research and all this stuff, and you look at the person that founded that organization, almost invariably, it was, I lost so-and-so. I suffered through this. I never wanted someone else to go through that again. And so I had to, I had to build this foundation. I had to build this organization. I had to come advance the research or make a solution. And so those people get the results where a lot of people who might've looked at it and said, it'd be nice to, you know, cure cancer or it'd be, it'd even be lucrative to cure cancer. Yeah. Not as much, not as much of a, of a why and don't get there as fast. So um, yeah. yeah, I love that point that, that, that fight inside of you is, is disproportionately important. Spencer, what's, uh, what's your why? I have to know now what's your, what's driving you. I mean, to even do this podcast, uh, in addition to your, you know, your consulting, like, I mean, it sounds like you're also, you're also pushing for something and you have a why, and I'd love to know what that is. Okay. So my, my personal mission, uh, is to be a leader, to give generously and to love passionately and to build resilient people. That's, and, and if you look at then the mission of my company, which is a Salesforce consulting firm, you'd think it is focused on something like tech or uh, something like that, but it's actually to build resilient people that can solve challenging problems. And so when you think about that, why, then it makes more sense why I would start this podcast or why, uh, why I do what I do. And that is, you know, I'm, I'm very concerned with, obsessed with, driven by this, uh, the people side. Um, I, from the time I was very little, uh, I, the relationships, I craved relationships and I didn't, uh, whether it was accurate or not, we all have stories we tell ourselves. And my story in my childhood was that I didn't have friends, that I didn't have people that liked me, that I wasn't good enough, some of those types of things. And, and that created a really strong desire to be good enough, to prove family members wrong, to prove friends wrong, to prove people that didn't like me wrong, to be able to show that I, I mattered or, or what have you. And so that started just with, I need to get money. I need to be something like that. And that yeah. became empty really fast. As you start to hit some goals and you're like, oh, I've got some money now, or I've got some success. That's right. That gets really empty and you have to look in the mirror and say, okay, well, what am I really trying to do? And then when, when I kind of connected with some of that, that childhood, um, those childhood feelings, I realized it, for me, it's all about the relationships. It's about the people and it's about building people that, won't go through some of the things I went through that are, that are strong, that are resilient, that have the skill sets to thrive, to be successful financially in their personal life. And so, um, yeah. And so that's what I love about this podcast is that ideally we can, we can expose people to ideas and mindsets and skills and habits that, that are higher leverage, allow them to get more out of life and play at a higher level. And then even with my consulting practice, you know, I, I, I'd love for everyone to stay. I want to make sure I give everyone a reason to stay. And we've lost very few employees since we started five years ago, but more important than that is if they leave, I want them to, to leave resilient, able to solve challenging problems because that, mm. that then goes and has an impact in the world. They'll go out and they'll do things that are really meaningful and impressive and I'll feel a sense of satisfaction. With that. You know, I'll, I'll always feel good knowing that I helped contribute even a little bit to someone's journey that way. And so that, for me, that really fills me up. It's just it's awesome. the relationship building and the people building um, is, 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 is where I think I have really skill and it's where I, I find a lot of joy. And why did you get that chip to begin with? Because you, you said it as fact, but I'm curious as to why you had this feeling that you didn't have friends or you weren't loved. 
it sounds like now in, in retrospect, you, you allude to it like you were probably mistaken. I, I was absolutely mistaken. Uh, in several ways, uh, I've, I've done a lot of work on myself, so I, I'm, I see my childhood much more clearly now. Mm -hmm. uh, but there, you know, there, there's this interesting dynamic of, um, I, I, I can come up with, I can understand how I came up with that story, but it was a useful story. And like any story we tell ourselves, we tell it because it, it meets our needs. It serves us in some way. And so that story served me a lot. Um, and it, it actually served me early on with the relationship issues. You know, when I, when I was feeling awkward and not having friends and all that, when I started selling door to door at 14, now I had money. Now I could take friends out to meals. Now I could take girls on nicer dates than other people. I could, you know, so I, I got attention that I wasn't getting before by going and having success, financial success. Mm -hmm. We were then all my friends. They're all talking about college. I was like, I'm making more than you'll make when you graduate from college. Like you're going to waste your time on college. I was so excited. I had some sense of identity that I thought I was kind of missing and I was yeah. able to like lean into that. But again, that gets empty really quick where you realize like money doesn't make you happy. You know, it's a good tool, yeah. but yeah. it's, that's not enough. And, and what, what I really was after was never the money. It was the connection. And then you realize, okay, there's, if I want the connection and I want the love and I want the, you know, the growth and the contribution and these things where we can really help each other, then, uh, to me, those needs, I got to do something more meaningful. And so. That's part of everyone's maturation, right? Growing up and you, whether it's as a business owner, totally. you start to realize that there's some reasons that matter and there's some reasons that don't, and the ones that don't won't push you, you know? And so I quickly ran out of gas with the money reasons and, and had to find better reasons to really be willing to do what I'm trying to do now, which is to get to a level that I never originally dreamed of. Um, but because it makes let me ask you something that I've been struggling with a lot because I, yeah. I love your, I love your, um, explanations but i think that there's something really interesting about this because some of this stuff you can only um identify or have um the luxury I will, i'll call it a luxury uh yeah. of discovering if until you can actually provide some tangible hard value to make money because although money isn't the vehicle that that it becomes the platform that allows you to start thinking beyond, right? Like digging deeper into yourself and having those actualizations. And so what do you think about, you know, the, the dichotomy of, you know, trying to live a balanced life where you are incorporating the purpose of who you are and your happiness while you build versus building, getting some level of financial success and then figuring out, you know, what makes you happy. Does that question make sense to you or do I, do I need to re-say it? No, I think, I think I understand what you're asking. And to me, mm -hmm. um, from the state that I'm at now, the answer is you can do both. And I didn't under, I saw them, I saw those as oppositional until the last, within the last year. Um, I, I saw several things as potentially competing that, that weren't, um, which again was a reflection of where my mindset was at the time. Um, and so I think buried or maybe inside of your question, part of the, part of the question is, well, how do you get to that point? If until you have made enough money, like here, you've been somewhat successful now, Spencer. And so now you have the luxury of discovering this about yourself. I don't think that it, that life is a race. And what I mean by that is, um, I know a lot of people that are much wiser than me that may have made much less money. Uh, and right. so, um, and I don't know that, I think for me, that was a precursor that, that I needed to get to the full end of seeing I've made more money than I thought I would ever need and say, okay, that's not satisfying to me. That's not driving me. Buying the Porsche isn't going to change anything for me. In fact, I'm going to sell it and go back to driving just to pick up. 
like, mm-hmm. but I had to, I needed to go have that experience. So like, mm-hmm. like, yeah, but, but that was my journey. I don't think everyone has to have that journey. And I think that I, I've met several people who get there without going on, on maybe the journey that I, it's a, it's a big conundrum for me. And that's why I ask, and I appreciate you sharing a little bit because like my best friend, right? Like my best friend, you would assume that my best friend would be, uh, you know, just like this alpha business person that's super aggressive and like, you know, probably like hyped up more than me, but it's actually not. My best friend is middle manager, doesn't ever want to get promoted, makes good money and and is like, why would I ever take on more responsibility? I'm super happy with my team. I know it like the back of my hand. Mentally, I'm fine at work. My boss loves me. They think I'm stable here. I love my team. I know exactly what to do. I can do my job in 24 to, you know, 35 hours a week. And I spend my mental health and, and mind on my family and my hobbies and gardening and all. And I'm like, that's amazing. It's so much wiser than me and, and so much more disciplined in, in self-satisfaction and happiness. Right. And so there's a lot of like merit to that. And I, I respect it. And I, I, um, I, um, not envious is that it's not the right word and idolizing is not the right word either, but a lot of respect for it. Yeah, and so it's really fun for people to realize who my best friend is because it's like no, it's not exact. It's just exactly the opposite of what you think it's going to be. It's actually someone that's like making less than me, likes the status quo, and is just way more disciplined and understands themselves better. They're just happier with who they are. You just said it exactly right, and that is understands himself. And yeah. the um, so for me, where a lot of my clarity came from, I went to date with Destiny and with Tony Robbins, mm-hmm. and that journey. That, that experience, I recommend it more than anything in life. I mean, I grew up very religious. I have a, uh, so I had a really strong religious upbringing. I've been exposed to a lot of religion, philosophy, and all these things. Nothing has changed my life like that experience because it's very practical and it's a very deep exploration of our own values. And what happens is when your values conflict with each other mm-hmm. or the rules you have about your values, um, are have not been thoughtfully designed then you get into situations where there's conflicts or perceived conflicts like we talked about and your and that creates all this stress and frustration and so some people naturally settle into really clear values that are aligned with with elegant rules that make it easy for them to feel and enjoy their values and so they don't end up needing certain external things to get there and, and I mean, I don't know if that's luck or genes or intelligence or you, mm-hmm. but Pete, some people get there for me, mm-hmm. I had several values that were in direct conflict. And so Jen, if you have a value for, for example, a lot of this chip on the shoulder stuff that was driving me was based in this fear of rejection yeah. that, that I, I really, that I saw everywhere or saw much more present than it actually was. But on the other hand, my other top value that I was trying to move towards was success. And how, I mean, uh, you can't be successful without accepting rejection. And in some contexts I did, I mean, I went and did sales. You don't do sales without accepting rejection, but I was also miserable in sales a lot because the rejection really bothered me. Mm -hmm. And so, and so I had these values where I'm trying to move away from rejection, but I'm trying to move towards success. You can't do that. I mean, it's going to drive you insane or have you number one value of success your number two value is security and predictability well man that's those those are going to conflict <laughs> and so and so when you start to see 
that on accident throughout our life experiences, we've our brain has just dictated these and has has documented them based yeah. on these sharp pleasure moments or these sharp pain moments yeah. or traumas. It has started to say, well, I got to move towards this. I got to move away from that. And if you don't thoughtfully go into your subconscious and rewire those, then there's all these conflicts that just drive you crazy. And that's totally Tony Robbins has a great system for assessing that and fixing that. And that changed my entire life where my emotional state immediately changed under the same circumstances. And when you realize you can do that, that's a trippy experience because your emotions are dictated by your self-assessment of how you're living your values and the rules. And so, and so once there's no conflict in those and you're clear about what they are, then you can just live them and you can set ambitious goals. See, another paradox I thought I had was, well, if I set ambitious goals, then I can't be happy because when I'm happy, I'm complacent. So I have to be unhappy so that I'm driven enough to get to where I want to be. Oh, wow. You can be happy every day, living your values and feel great about yourself, then build on that success to go after really ambitious goals. And so there's all these types of things that we all fall into, right? I'm just sharing some of mine since you asked, but yeah, of course. But, but there's, but we all have these. And once you sort those out, God bless the people like your friend who just get straight to it, you know, who, who are able yeah. to figure it out on their own and they feel that deep peace. It's an incredible gift for them. And it, it highlights that we're all trying to meet our human needs. That's the commonality. And sometimes it's hard for us to accept that people can meet their needs in a different way. It's like, I can't imagine not being an entrepreneur. And so anybody who's not an entrepreneur, I'm like, but why wouldn't you? Or at least I did that for a long time. Mm-hmm. But then once I saw, oh, but it's because you meet your needs this way and that's preferable to you. Oh, well, it's easy to understand. So mm-hmm. that's the, that for me, that's any common thread we can all come back to is we all have these mm-hmm. base human needs we're trying to meet. And once you see that in everyone, then it's like, oh, we're all dealing with the same stuff. And there's a whole lot of different strips. Totally. I mean, I mean, it's awesome that you see it that way. Cause I think that that goes back to just like, as you get older and wiser, you start to re- I mean, not that we're older and wiser, but I'm just going to say that we are at least wiser than we used to be. Um, that's white. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's the indication of wiseness. Yeah. Um, as we, you know, get older and wiser, you know, we, um, start to realize, you know, every, everyone has their path, you know, and like the empathy level starts to increase more and more. And it goes back to the, um, the thing my mentor said to me, and this is a very common saying, but he said it to me in the funniest way. I was having brunch with them and I just, I was like, I just don't care what people think anymore. You know, I just, I just want to be happy and do what makes me happy. It doesn't have to make sense to them. I just want to do what makes me happy. And I think I'm, I think I'm, a, I think I'm becoming an adult, you know, is this what adulting is like? And he looks at me and he goes, no, you're an adult when you realize no one ever gave a shit about you to begin with. and i'm like oh my gosh that blows my mind and you know you just think through it and you're just like oh my gosh no one actually really cares they're so focused on themselves and trying to be happy and trying to figure out their problems and their solutions and their success criteria and and you know obviously they care but they don't really care you know and so they're not going to care if you reinvent yourself they're not going to mind if you you know try something new or try something different or change who you are or like fail forward or whatever that may be because they're so focused on figuring their own happiness out and it just like skyrocketed my empathy you know and just like it ballooned into this huge thing and then the second thing that i'll add on to this concept that you're just piggybacking off of what you're saying is becoming a parent also skyrocketed my empathy for people because i'm so physically tired 
um, just like drained. And I, I can't wait till they become like 10 years old. Cause I've heard from a lot of parents that like they become a lot more self-sufficient at like eight or nine and like 10 is becomes like when they're like independent and they kind of want their independence. But right now it's just a physical grind for a couple more years, right? Like picking them up, picking up after them, like making sure they wipe their butts and brush their teeth and like, you know, like actually like physically, like it's so involving. Right. And I'm just exhausted. And I just like, I I'm sure I'm doing things to piss people off on the road and in lines. I'm probably cutting someone off, not even realizing because I'm just deliriously tired. And so ever since I became a parent, I'm like, I don't mean to be a bad person, but like now I just assume everyone's a parent. I'm just like, I'm just like, they must be a parent and they're just exhausted. And so, yeah, come on in, just cut me off. It's totally fine. I, I've had those days. I get it. You're probably just a parent. Oh, I totally, you probably didn't even see me try to, you probably didn't even see me waiting in line. Go for it. You go first. You know, like my empathy is just like skyrocketing as I've gotten older and wiser. And as I've become a parent, I think those two things have really helped me understand that. And then really talking to more people that are more grounded in themselves. And so it's really great to uh, thank you for answering my questions because this is the big conundrum that I've been trying to solve for, right? Is like, is it something that I should be doing? in tandem or is it something that i should be doing um one after the other because i think having more financial stability will allow for me to have more discovery right to be able to figure out what drives me and motivates me and makes me happy but i'm also coming to the point where i'm like i feel like i'm missing out on things by not doing them in tandem right like doing it at the same time and so like this morning was a great example of it like i i could have gone to a really good meeting you know for my business and it would have been really lucrative, right? It would have been a great sales meeting, right? It could have potentially been a really great sale. And I chose to go to my kids award ceremony for first grade that, you know, happens every quarter and and the certificate is super lame. It's like has handwritten on it, you know, and like it's not a big award ceremony. But I went to the award ceremony this morning instead of, you know, taking the potential, you know, BD call and it was amazing. I mean, like my daughter was like so surprised that I was there. She was like, wait, why are you here? Aren't you working? Like, aren't you? Bu-? It was just amazing. You know what I mean? Like you can see the joy on her face and it's something that you can't calculate no matter how, you know, you want to quantify this stuff. And it makes you really ponder and think like, you know, what is the, um, what is the path to success? Right. And how do you debit and you debit your time into, you know, building for your goals and dreams versus like building for the thing that you actually want once you establish it right and how much can you do that while you drive versus like how much do you need to drive before you can start developing it it's 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 a really really hard conundrum and i i just like i just struggle with it so much these days i think i think it baked into that something to maybe just consider is this idea of we we have a natural bias to assume that we have an infinite amount of time or even just a set amount of time that I'll be here for 50 years, for 80 years. Yeah. Reality could end tomorrow and you could be out on the road and that person could cut you off and accidentally knock you off the road and you could die. Yeah. And I think the more, the more that I, I bring my mortality into it, then the more centered I am about making sure I live today, honoring all the outcomes the best way I can. And that means that, uh, if I knew I had a very limited amount of time left or that I might be cut short, I certainly wouldn't gamble with trading one value for another. And so I've got, I have to find a way to do both. Um, and I think when, when I, when I put that in perspective, um, 
it doesn't mean I'll do anything perfectly, right? It, but but what I've got to do, there isn't that perfect way. You've talked to a lot of successful people on your podcast about how they parent and you get a bunch of different answers. And so there's not like some path that you're going to be judged against. You're going to judge yourself against those values that you hold. And so that's to me the the yardstick of let me get clear on my values and my rules about mm -hmm. that. And the clearer I am on that, then I'm going to feel good every day knowing I'm doing my best to live those values because at the end of the day, everything goes away. Your relationships go away. Your uh, your life goes away, obviously. Your businesses go away. Everything is temporary. Yeah. And all you have is what you give and who you become. And so today, if I become the person that I can be proud of today, and if I give more than I'm worried about getting, then everything else will work out long-term. In my yeah. business, that'll be true. In my family, that'll be true. Because guess what? You might do everything right and prioritize your kids every day, and they could turn out horrible. They could get to a point where they just say, my dad was a helicopter parent, was too involved, cared too much, and now I'm doing drugs to get away from him. And, <laughs> and then you, you don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Because to, to, I thought that was what was right. Someday they have to take responsibility for what they choose. That's right. But when they see you live in line with your values and they feel the peace that comes from that and they admire the person you are and they feel genuine love and high quality attention and focus when you're with them and you know whatever that is, those building blocks that make you feel congruent, like you're really living those values, that will make them want to follow you, want to keep a relationship with you, want to love you long-term. And that is priceless because you feel good in the moment and it does build the relationship. Yeah. But trying to over-optimize for the outcome kind of ends up assuming that we can control the outcome and we can't. We can just control the inputs. I can control how I spend my time today, how I prioritize, what I get done, who I become, and what I give. And if I, if I, if I focus on who I'm trying to become and I focus on what I can give, I think I'm going to have the outcomes I want long-term. I feel actually a high degree of certainty I'll get the outcomes that I want yeah. long-term. But but we can't control it on the journey. So that's, so that's, it's tricky. It's a tricky, yeah. tricky place to be. But it's beautiful, man. I love the way you said it. It's very elegant and eloquent. Um, I, I think that that's actually accurate, right? It's like, it's like trying to, um, force an outcome is, uh, impossible. And so logically speaking, if you can't force an outcome, then the next best thing logically without even being, um, um, super, uh, super overcomplicated about it um is to just focus on what you can control and yeah. that's the day-to-day -day, the inputs and that's a really clever way of looking at it I, I think that that's that's beautiful it's very elegant um i like it it, it works for my brain uh, all right I, I'm, I'm down with it man yeah <laughs> and i love i love the personal side we got into let's transition a little bit to uh, with your business what yeah. are some of the ways as a you know fractional coo and through these various businesses you have what are some of the learnings you've had there uh, over the last two years about uh, kind of higher leverage thinking, higher leverage activities. How do you get either more for your businesses or more for your client businesses? Yeah, I think that there's a couple of things and this is very uh, self um, um, in, gr gratuitous, I guess, because it kind of feeds into my business. But um, having a function expert, you know, come in and help, even if it's at a fractional level or a business coach coming in and help even at a, like a directional level, it, it can change change the trajectory and velocity of your business way more than you know having four full time people. Um, I, I mean, I think that a lot of you know business owners are are scared about like you know value uh, of dollars when it comes to labor, but you know the experience and directional um, 
nudges that you know someone with experience can make will have a 10x sometimes even a 100x uh, leverage input right so um I, I mean it's just one of those things where i've i've now spent i have a coach and i have i've spent you know money and invest in you know my personal development as well as my professional development and um it's just one of those things where i think people don't realize it because we're so focused on like maximizing our value in such a linear way of thinking and you talk to these like successful people and like though they spend so much money on themselves like it's like this like padre of like middle class versus like upper class is like these upper class folks they just they just invest all their money into themselves like whether it's like physical mental emotional professional uh they just like they just take you know decades of other people's experiences and then like highly leverage that to point them in the right direction and and it, it like wildly uh changes your leverage right and it's so hard to like trust and imagine that or find the right person sometimes too which i can understand as well because you know there's also a lot of you know consultants and coaches out there but um um it's super powerful if you can do it right right it's super powerful yeah. and, it, and it just game changes your trajectory and velocity yeah i mean the the important thing i think for people to remember is that every level it's there and it just it costs different things so you know the reason obviously the more successful you get the more you more you can afford to spend on yourself or on that coaching and that and that building because of what is let's say someone makes a million dollars a year mm-hmm. if, if they spend money on a coach and they get a 10 percent increase you're talking about a hundred hundred thousand dollars so mm-hmm. even if it costs them you know ten thousand fifty thousand dollars they got a hundred percent return on fifty thousand uh, dollars invested so so the 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 scale is there to justify some of these more advanced techniques but when i first starting out and i was making a hundred thousand dollars a year and i was working as a an employee a book is not that expensive and so if i That's knew right. i developed the right mindset a lot of the same people like i pay really good money to tony robbins right now because his his stuff to me is some of the best coaching out there across the board yeah but i'd say half of his content you can get in his books for 10 bucks a piece listen to them on audio now is it exactly the same experience no but it's enough of it that you can get you can get that mindset um some of the most high value relationships i've had that have been so critical and moved the needle for me that i've spent a lot of money on those people have books they have podcast appearances they have you can get half the value for almost free generally speaking yeah so wherever you're at in the journey access is there it's a matter of finding where is it and who has what i need and the clearer you get you mentioned up front this importance of getting clear about what you want when you started asking the right question which was who are some people who are working less hours getting bigger outcomes etc you got really clear on your question the type of person you needed to learn from well now you can search on google for that you can ask all your friends and network about that you can find those people you can find people who've done it who've written books or had podcast appearances or what have you and so you know what you're looking for we waste so much time looking but before we know what we want and expecting tell us the danger in that is that most of the time what you need isn't going to be marketed the best so when you go out and you don't know clearly (laughs) a marketer is going to take your attention and get money but if you know really what you want then with much less money you're going to get the result so that clarity of a vision of knowing what is it i'm trying to learn right what is the problem I'm trying to solve? What is the mindset I'm trying to shift? What is the skill I need? The clearer I am about that, then 
I'm going to have the power to attract that into my life, be very clear in my mentality, ask the right questions, find the right people. And so do not, whatever you do, very low leverage tactic is to start with a half-baked question and, and a half-baked idea of what I want and wander onto the internet where marketers are just ready to, to rob you. So so that's, to me, that that would be the low leverage uh, sort of. Uh, totally. I, I would even just start with your network of friends. I mean, like you get an instant validation and ideally referrals. I mean, we're, it's not six degrees of separation. We're typically in, in this digital age, we're like two or three degrees from a referral of someone that's actually used a service or a provider or read a book or something that's actually helped them. And we're not actually that disconnected anymore. And so, uh, I have, I have a rule of a hundred. Anytime I want to learn something, I just, I just try to get a hundred meetings. And my tactic is I literally email friends. I email people on my network, family and friends. And that way it comes to, it, it put it out in the world, but it, it comes with some level of diligence and validation. Like, oh, I read this book and it really helped me. Cool. It's someone that I know. I, I have some level of security. This is real. It's not some shill. And you, ha- you get like a certain level of diligence done, right? But yeah, you need to start with uh, clarity on what you what success looks like for you. If you don't have that, it's, it's like the same thing as we talked about in the beginning of the show, which is you're not prepared to win. You haven't done the work, the deep work to figure out how to actually even win if you can't even define what success looks like. Yeah, I spoke not too long ago at the university that I went to and uh, it was on a panel about entrepreneurship and and some of the kids came up afterwards and wanted to talk and I love staying and talking to everybody that wants to talk. And um, one of the questions that one of these kids asked me was, uh, you know, you mentioned how important reading is to fill gaps, et cetera. What book should I start with? And I I just thought, that's such a bad question. Now I'm going to try to help you answer it because I, I get that you're sincere, but, but you understand, I just told you I've read hundreds of books. Like I I've filled my mind with books. So I, you're asking someone that actually can tell you probably a very specific book from, I mean, at least if it's a subject that I've cared about, I can give you probably four recommendations, say which one I'd start with and why and how they contrast and kind of how they complement each other. The problem is I don't know what you need. I don't, you don't even know what you need. So this idea of like, what which book is going to be the most valuable is like, well, part of the reason I advocate reading so much is because when I was younger and I, it was harder for me to know what I needed, I'd read five books to figure out one of them was what I needed at that time. That's the other one, get halfway into the book and go, this isn't what I need. And it might be a great book, but I'm not going to read it right now. I keep moving through and I'd be on one book and go, oh man, this is exactly solving the problem that I have right now. And then over time, I developed the skill of figuring out the, what's the question asked to know what I need. And then the better I got at that, the faster I found the book. And then, then reading becomes really high productivity. But you have to start somewhere. It's that diligence of, I read a bunch and I found what I needed. And I realized I can shorten that cycle. So, you know, if you're going to ask someone for help and you say, where do I start? You're going to get generic answers. You're not going to get anywhere. If you say, oh yeah, I'm currently trying to start a business. This is the experience I have. These are the gaps I think I have. Do you know of any books that solve this problem? Or do you know someone that can teach this? It's like, oh wow, now I either have an exact answer or... It's not something I know. Oh yeah. It's, like, it's, it's also, it's also not uh, statistically speaking, you're not going to really get the help that you want either because you're going to kind of, you're, you're more likely to annoy the person because now you're making them work for you. Uh, yeah. it's very, very frustrating for, for not having clarity when you ask for help. You need to make it insanely easy for people to help you. Um, I, I hate it when people ask me to help them and then they just ask me to help them like that. Cause it's like, I just call them out on it. I'm like, I don't work for you. Uh, tell me what it is that you need. I'm happy to help you. You know, I'm happy to guide you, but like, you're not making me do a six hour discovery call with you to figure out what, what questions you need to ask me. Go do that on your own and come back and ask me when you're ready to ask me the questions, because 
That's what they're essentially doing. And they don't mean bad by it, but someone needs to tell them that reality or else they're going to keep cycling through these things, expecting that I'm just bad luck or I just have, you know, like I can't seem to like shake this, this juju off of me. And it's like, no, it's you. It's not bad luck. It's you. You're asking, you're asking people to work for you. Tell me what to do. Tell me what to do. Like, how do I win? Like, and it's like, that's such a generic question. What does winning mean to you? Like, you have to do the deep work to define it. And so you can actually ask people to make it easy for them to help you. My favorite thing to say about this is like, my mom loves me and I've already said this twice before. So now, now the whole, all, everyone's going to think my mom really loves me a lot, but she does. Um, and my, as much as my mom loves me, right. And she loves me a lot. She also doesn't want to help me unless I make it very easy for her. So just imagine you making me work for you. And I don't even know you and I didn't birth you. You're not my kid. Like I have no attachment to you. What makes you think I would want to stop at, out of my day and like, go stop what I'm doing to help you figure out your life. Like you have to make it easier for your people to help you. And it's such a valuable thing to point out as it relates to, to building leverage and getting access to, to people, data and, 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 and resources, because if you're not clear about it, the natural propensity for people is to not want to help. And if you make it too complicated, it's just not going to work. And then now they're, they're going to feel bad because they wanted to help you, but now they're overcommitted and then you're not going to get what you want, or you're going to get a really generic answer and it's going to keep vortexing you in the wrong cycle. So uh, it's a very, very powerful point. Yeah. You know, one tactic that I've developed on this that can help people if they're trying to find a mentor, they're trying to, to get someone interested in their journey is to actually just make it about the person. And so, you know, I actually just recently had, had a, a, a life-changing experience. I, I got, I acquired a mentor that I have wanted for many years. This person sold a business like mine for $250 million, you know, a few years back. Nice. And the, the most successful entrepreneur in my space that I know of. And so I worked for a long time just to, first of all, get my business to a point where I could even start a conversation with him. And then let alone find the right introduction and then make sure I wasn't wasting his time. And, um, but then immediately after he gave me a little bit of value, I, I offered to try to do something nice for him. And so I, I bought floor seats to a basketball game. I asked to be one to go. He said, yes, we went. And I said, I'm not going to go in here and ask him questions about my business. I'm going to spend the whole night trying to have a good time and build a relationship. I'm going to, but I'm going to be infinitely curious about his journey because most people like to talk about themselves and share things, right? I, I want to be infinitely curious about his journey, and then I might learn something that I need because he's been on a journey that's helpful to me. But instead of saying, here's what I don't know, please teach me, I just I just asked throughout the night, hey, I was so impressed with the way you did this. How'd you come up with that? What did that, what, what you know, tell me about that. And out of the goodness of his heart, when he saw, he got so excited by how good the question was that he said, here's what I did, but here's what you need to know, and this is how you could use this in your business. And he chose to get really excited about my business and to help. Yeah. And that, I mean, I'm extremely grateful. This guy's so much more accomplished than me and, and was willing to be so generous with me. But on my side, I made sure to not go in and just be like, Hey, can you tell me how to do this and teach me this? And that like, no one likes that. But, but yeah. when you see someone that, you know, has gone on a journey that could be valuable to you and you come with really insightful questions about their journey, not publicly available stuff. Don't ask. You know, so what kind of company was that? It's like, read, like, know what you're, be prepared. And, you know, I, I read everything I could find about this person. I talked to people that we are mutual acquaintances, asked about yeah. their likes, likes, like yeah. I researched to make sure I could come show up as my best self and be professional, you know, yeah. and build a relationship the same way that if you wanted to date a girl when you're young, you put it, 
hey, uh, I know nothing about you. No, you're like fake. My girl. I was just going to go to the dating analogy. That's I mean, so funny. Yeah. Invest in the relationship. Show that yeah. you give a shit and really care. And then yeah. they might also start to care about you. And if they do, now you've found a mentor. And that's something that I've seen time and time again that I've been fortunate to get some great mentors is that pattern works. When you add value to them and you care about them and care about their journey, eventually that will get reciprocated. And then you find yourself in this really privileged position of getting just invaluable experience and advice that you need. Um, I agree. Yeah, so I agree. It, it, it's like, it's like, you got to think through the value that you can provide someone like that. Right. Like, so it's not the same as your, the value that you're thinking of because they're at a different level and stage of their life. And so it's, it's just very tricky. Right. And so it's really hard for people to reposition their thoughts to be like, okay, if I had everything, what would, what would be valuable to me? Right. Like, it's just really hard to like, even imagine that, but you have to, because like, it, like I said earlier, like our natural instinct is not to like go out of our way to help people. It's just not our natural, it's not our natural state. And so, um, you know, if you make it easy for people to help you, um, you can really foster a really great relationship by providing a lot of value. And so, uh, doing research is really key. It goes back to the, gosh, right from the beginning of the episode, being prepared. Yeah. Be prepared, you know, full circle. Yeah. I, t I told him at the end of that night, I said, Hey, listen, even though I know I bought the tickets, it's not lost on me that you spent more to be here than I did. And yeah. I just really appreciate you, you know, spending time with me. And, uh, because that's the reality, someone that yeah. is far ahead of you probably doesn't need anything from you. And, yeah. and so it's, you know, you just have to, you have to lead with and, and maintain that spirit of gratitude for the people that are willing to share with you, that are willing to try to, to open up and give insights and give mentorship and give advice. And look, they get satisfaction. We all, we all want to grow and be totally, totally, but there's a lot of people that are asking for handouts and they're, so they're used to batting those people away. And so it's, yeah, it's a hard journey to find people, find the right people, get the right mentorship, but, uh, you can do it. So that being said, as we get ready to close out, young, yeah, want to make sure that we leave everyone just with any final thoughts from you specifically on, uh, where they can find you and, and the best way to reach out if they've got more questions or would like your help in a fractional CLO capacity. Yeah. So the best way to reach me is at alwayshan.com. So always on my last name, H-A-N. It's kind of a play on words like because I'm always on. Um, I, I, I believe in work-life integration. I don't really believe in work-life balance. And so if I need to be with my kid for a word ceremony, I'm going to go be with my kid in a word ceremony. If I need to go work on a Saturday night, I'm going to go work on a Saturday night. Like I just do whatever I need to do. Right. And so it's kind of my concept of like just work-life integration, but alwayshan.com it has literally every single way that you can work with me so whether right. it's video production marketing or um sales training or if it's a uh, fractional coo or business small business coaching if you want investments or whatever that may be it's a central index for it, it leads everywhere so uh, but the biggest way that uh, you can get in touch with me is alwayshan.com awesome well, thank you so much for being here. It was a pleasure getting to explore some of the personal side, some of your business achievements, some of the leverage that you've acquired over time and the mindsets you've developed. And, uh, you know, uh, even though you didn't ask me formally, I will be your friend. So, uh, I'll have it. <laughs> so funny. I was going to ask you as to we hung up. Thank you for already pre-agreeing. That's so funny. I'm like, do we just like become best friends? I was like, this is like the stepbrothers movie, you know, we're like so many rooms for activity. Um, yes, thank you. So part of why I do podcasts, I love to make friends with people and, uh, and uh, expand that network because I mean, building people is, is the, is the mission. So I'm, I'm excited if we can help each other. I'd love to, but thanks for being on today and, uh, we'll talk soon.
Yeah, thank you, Spencer. Hey, before you go, I have a small request. Our mission is to empower as many people as possible to maximize their potential through the power of leverage. Could you help us in this mission by leaving a review on iTunes, Spotify, or YouTube? And if you know just one person who would benefit from today's episode, would you please share it with them? Your support means the world to us, and we are thrilled to have you in the community. Thank you for being a part of our journey and helping us grow. You can find show notes for today's show and past shows at LessonsInLeverage.com, which also has links to connect with me personally and connect with our various podcast channels across your favorite social networks. A big thanks to Solve.Cloud, who sponsored this episode. They're a group of expert consultants that help SaaS and financial services companies to implement, optimize, and manage Salesforce.com. They can help you with custom integration solutions and are helping customers to implement some of the most important generative AI technologies. You can find them at Solve.Cloud. That's S-O-L-V-D dot cloud is the URL. Thanks again, and we'll talk soon.